You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, my friend Drew Lieberman, who founded the Sideline Hustle, has worked with some of the best receivers in the league, including Devontae Adams. And he is on the show to talk about that work with Devontae, to talk about his experience training players amid COVID-19. And he was there when Mohamed Sanu got the call that Cam Newton signed in New England. So he has some great stories to tell about his experiences and his coaching ability. His perspective on the game, it's its really a fascinating insight into what it means to play receiver at any level, but particularly in the NFL. And I'm just, I'm sort of blown away every time I talk to him at the, the way that he's able to distill things down and make them digestible. And that's what makes him a good coach, obviously. Uh, but I've, I've talked to a lot of coaches and I think he's unique in the way that he does it. And it's one of the reasons why he was on the path to be a head coach in his early thirties, had he wanted to do it and went a different path. And I think is pretty happy with the path that he took before we get to that conversation though. uh, I want to start with a, a little bit of a dovetail from what we were talking about yesterday with the lack of preseason games. And we mentioned, Oh, it's going to hurt the fringe roster players and those guys who will not get a chance to compete now uh, and and who will miss out on opportunities to make a team when they otherwise might have had some opportunities to do so. And I think it's important that we also look at the kinds of players who are already on the team, established players, veteran players potentially, who are going to be hurt by not having exhibition games. And... It just so happens, I'd already wanted to do this. This is beautiful. I'd already wanted to do this. But Acme Packing Company put together a roundtable on which Packers players are hurt most by eliminating preseason games. So I just wanted to go through some of those answers. On Wednesday, Acme Packing Company, the staff put together the list of players they felt like would be most impacted by a lack of preseason games. And so Paul Noonan suggested Rashawn Gary would be one of those guys. His his basic point, projects need work to develop. And while I think that, of course, you know, it would have been helpful for him to get some live game reps, it's also true that he's not going to be a frontline player for the Packers this year. So, yeah, it's going to hurt him for sure, and, and you'd like to see him get some of those live reps, but he's going to get practice reps 
And my guess would be they're going to be careful with guys like Zadarius and Preston Smith in training camp and give Rashawn Gary some more first-team reps. Those guys know the defense. And so you'd like to be able to get someone like Gary some more of these practice reps. I understand the idea. But again, Gary is not going to be a high-level impact player for the Packers this year that plays 75% of snaps. He could be an impact player in the 40, 45% of snaps that he plays, but isn't likely to be a cornerstone for this team, isn't likely to work his way into you know, some big role for this team. The same is true for another name on this list, Jordan Love. And you know, Jordan Love, of course, these preseason snaps are critical to go against live defenses. They don't usually scheme for offenses, but to just get some live reps would have been really helpful for Jordan Love. The hope is, if you're Green Bay, you don't need him in 2020. The chances are you will need him at some point. And so insofar as you you want to have a backup player as prepared as possible, especially in the age of coronavirus, when you might go through three quarterbacks in a season, it would certainly have been helpful to get Jordan Love some reps. Now, another name that I think is particularly interesting here is Equinemius St. Brown. And he is someone who missed all of last year with an ankle injury. They didn't sneak him onto the 53. Instead, they IR'd him before final roster cuts. And that meant that when he went on IR, he's done for the season. He is someone who I think is the second most purely physically gifted receiver on the roster. And he didn't get a chance to play in live game reps with Aaron Rodgers and didn't get a chance to get fully integrated into Matt LaFleur's offense to get practice reps all season. He is behind. He's behind MVS. He's behind Alan Lazard. And that doesn't mean that he's going to be behind those guys in the depth chart or is going to be ultimately behind those guys in targets or reps. But he's missing out opportunities to say, hey, you can't ignore me. And that's the thing that these preseason games are about. Training camp is one thing. Practice is one thing. And there are plenty of players over the years who've looked great in practice and have never looked good in games. And then there are plenty of players who are the reverse. Guys who who do not look good in practice and then go out and show out in games. And I'm not saying that EQ is either one of those guys, but if you are the kind of player at a position where there are a lot of other guys... You need the extra time to differentiate yourself. And another name on this list in the same sort of vein here is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. For all the same reasons I just mentioned with EQ, minus the experience part. MVS got some experience, got hurt, seemed to lose his own confidence, seemed to lose the confidence of the quarterback and potentially the play caller. He needs to take his knowledge, his experience, and parlay that into... A good training camp. He needs to show, look, last year I was hurt. It was a fluke. The guy you saw early in the season is the guy I can be over a 16-game schedule. Let me be the deep threat in this offense. Let me be the shot play guy. Let me be the Ted Ginn Jr. at worst. Let me be the guy who takes the top off the defense. When we go play action, I want the ball. He can do that. It just would have been nice to get some of those reps in an actual exhibition game, even if it's not with Aaron Rodgers, even if it's with Tim Boyle or Jordan Love. We saw last year Alan Lazard and Darius Shepard earned places, whether it was earning the quarterback's trust or earning a roster spot. 
based on how they played in preseason games. And the packing order of receivers can be determined by what they do in these exhibition games. Those two guys have important, important opportunities taken away from them. And that is a bummer for this offense because they didn't have an influx of talent. You bring in Devin Funches, sure, and he's going to have a a learning curve as well. But that was always going to be true. He was probably not going to take a lot of preseason snaps with Aaron Rodgers anyway. They were going to have to build that relationship in practice no matter what. And I think that is going to take some time uh, regardless. MVS and EQ could have had opportunities with Tim Boyle and Jordan Love and made the most of those opportunities. They won't get that chance now. I, I love the answer that, that Tex Western gives here, my editor, not just because he's my editor. He says, every linebacker that's not Christian Kirksey. And I, I think that's a huge one. Curtis Bolton was on his way to earning a starting job because of the way that not just he played in training camp, but the way that he played in preseason. He was a ball magnet in preseason. And everything we saw in practice he was able to translate into the game to play fast, to fly around the field and make plays, to stop ball carriers in the backfield, to run sideline to sideline, to know where to be at the right time. He will not get that opportunity. In the same sort of vein, Oren Burks, who now has multiple seasons in Mike Patton's defense, went into last offseason seemingly the starter next to Blake Martinez, was getting all the reps. They were playing a ton of traditional nickel and then modified nickel with two linebackers and two defensive linemen and still an extra defensive back, which is something that they may go to more this season as well. But we don't get the chance to see if he's ready to do that in exhibition games. We don't get to see live bullets. And that is a bummer for him. That would have been an opportunity to say, Look, Curtis Bolton was a nice story last year. Ty Summers had a lot of tackles, and you just took Kamel Martin. Sorry, I'm better than those guys. He had that chance, and now that chance is going to have to either be seized in practice or it's gone. And that is not ideal when you're trying to still find and, and cobble together pieces who are the overhang defenders in this defense. We don't know outside of Christian Kirksey And that's a problem. So it's not just, uh, oh, it'd be nice for Burks or Bolton or Summers to get these chances. No, it's bad for this defense that they are not. They being Mike Penton and the coaching staff, they're not going to have as good a handle on who these guys are and what they can do as they would if we saw them in live game action. All right, let's get to my conversation with Drew Lieberman. He is the founder of the Sideline Hustle, and he is receiver coach to the stars. (laughs) You can follow Sideline Hustle on Twitter, at Sideline Hustle. They have really cool videos on receiver teach tape, a lot of Devontae Adams there. You can also follow uh, Drew on Twitter, at Coach Liebs, L-I-E-B-S. Drew, thanks for coming on Locked on Packers. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Uh, you and I have been talking uh, for a long time about the work that you've done with Devontae Adams and, and receivers around the league. You, you have a, a close relationship with Mohamed Sanu, and, and so you've been part of the story a lot this summer. 
but I want to I want to start with the the Devonte Adams piece because I'm I on Twitter all the time I'm sending you clips of Devonte and and his releases and all the different things that he does the nuances in his game and you actually got connected with him and started working with him how did that come about Yeah so Tay and I have never uh, we we have become like friends of sort um, we've never like trained together I just did some film study for him and kind of broke some things down to him that he felt like helped and we we, we have a relationship. Um, to the point where, like, you know, he was sending me some practice clips and just, like, enjoyed the enjoyed having uh, another critical eye. Uh, but really, the guy he works with, uh, Coach Keith Williams, yep. um, is his, like, full-time trainer. That He's, like, one of the best in the business. I know that guy's been training him since he was, like, 17 years old um, and is, is, you know, has been played a huge part in Tay's success. But our relationship is more so, like, peers, you know, someone who he, he really trusts, you know, I think he just trusts my opinion, trusts my thoughts on the game so there are times if i see something that i think can help him i'll I'll let him know and just sort of like a a mentorship role that way he does show up in your teaching tapes a lot because he's he's turned himself into one of the best if not the best route runner in the league what what has what have you seen change in his game that, that you think has made him more effective um i just think he continues to have more and more command of himself and his you know just his game at the line of scrimmage like and the more the more he his reputation grows, and the more that he puts on film, the more DBs panic before the play even starts. Like right. <laughs> it, it was, it's crazy to watch last year where like there were releases where he didn't even have to do anything, and and the release was one, you know, three games earlier on film, and the kid was scared of that play. You know what I mean? Like just because he's on number seventeen and saw him abuse so many DBs, like like he's starting to get he he's starting to have guys who are inexperienced who, who don't even stand a chance, and then. And then he, and then you know it doesn't even matter who's lined up against him because I think that what he's doing better and better and better is he, he's starting to make all his releases look the same and pairing stuff together and all his movements is coming off another movement and he hits you with one thing and then you start to play you start to think that you found the body cue that tells you that that release and he makes it look exactly the same and comes back with something else so like I've never seen anyone who has that much command of himself and his thought process at the line of scrimmage like it's it's really an art. I remember one of the the first really deep, nerdy football conversations you and I had when we first met each other was about having a plan at the line of scrimmage. And I, I did yeah. one of those ideas that I just absolutely love. And it sort of infected my brain in a way. This is like, I, I think about it constantly now when I'm when I'm watching someone or I'm watching the game or I'm thinking about the game. Because it, it really is a critical part of every play is having a plan at every position, really. So at the mm-hmm. receiver position, when you say... I want you to have a plan. What does that mean? Um, yeah, so it means like a, a lot of that start starts with with film study, um, with practice. Um, but essentially, it just means like like come out there with an understanding of how to execute your job versus the defense in front of you, um, and that can be very very nuanced. And, and you know, uh, a lot of it like so like it comes with watching film and and you know, watching the overall defense, understanding what their base coverages are, how they like to play those coverages, and then studying the individuals and, you know, trying to see how he plays press coverage, how he plays off coverage. You know, you, you probably r- watch all the routes he gets beat on and you see some vulnerabilities. He always gets beat on this tendency. You watch all the routes where he's worth pass breakups and you see like, oh, he's really good at defending this. So I got to use this nuance to get open. Like you just find these little tendencies and it kind of creates like, it's like just finding the pieces to a puzzle until you can create a whole picture at the end of the week. And if you prepare that way, well, then you come out on the field, and 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 that generally should be the easy part because 
that's when now you're in control and you can kind of dictate everything. But so when you take all that knowledge, all that information, you come, come out of the field and the first thing you do is you, you scan your coverage triangle, which is the, the cornerback, the linebacker, and the safety to your side. Those three guys, kind of the way they align um, their relationship to each other, often pretty much gives you all the information you need to figure out what the coverage is going to be or, or give you some clues as to how they want to play you. So that tells you, okay, let's say I have a slant route. I have a slant route. The coverage triangle tells me that it's cover three. So now based on everything I've seen on their cover three, I know how I want my slant route to look. I have that plan. Um, and you go execute it. And then, you know, obviously things can change. So the, what, what I tell guys is like have a plan and then have a counter plan. So, you know, you have your one, based on film studies, 80% of the time they play this or they play it this way. Um, so I'm going to, you know, execute my initial plan. But you kind of know in the back of your head, all right, there are the few reps where he played it differently. So if he decides to do that, whatever that thing is, or he cuts you off when you thought you were going one way, you're, you're still able to react off that and adjust and, and execute your counter plan and win a different way. But um, that's it. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of processing information at the line and then and then being able to calm your mind when the ball snapped and just, you know, play and react and, and kind of not think when the ball is snapped in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always I always wonder this, and, and everyone in, in the sport and who coaches it and plays it has a little bit different perspective on it. But when it comes to, you know, you're someone obviously who's, who's trying to rep skills and drills and, and put things in your body, muscle memory, all that kind of stuff, how much of, especially receiver, it feels like there are some innate traits you need, you need like some of the innate creativity and, and just some of the feel stuff. How much of, of the position do you think is just you either have this ability or you don't? Um, I, it's, it's, it depends on the guy. So, like, sure. what I always talk about receiver is, like, running, route running is an art. And you can be an average athlete and a really great route runner and make a career for yourself. Um, but what sure. I always talk about is science plus creativity equals art. And so, like, there's a science of it, which is, like, the technique part, right? That's like what I provide. It's drop your hips here, put your foot at a 45 degree angle, take three steps out of the break, all those little details. And then there's the player's own creativity and style. And that's really what gets him open. It's the mastery of the science and the fundamentals. But then like, you know, we've never heard it. We don't, we don't remember great artists because they're just like everyone else. We remember great artists because they have a unique flair and a unique spin on the art that makes them that, you know, that is different than everyone else. And, and at the receiver position, guys have something that makes them unguardable, the great guys. Um, so it's different for everyone. I think, like, generally at, in the NFL, you got to have that. There's got to be that it that you possess that kind of separates you from everyone else. But at the, like, even at the highest D1 levels, you can really teach. you got to have some level of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't teach. I can't make a bad athlete do a good athlete. But, like, you can there, – there, you can – you can use technique and fundamentals and understanding of the game so much to get open that like, you don't have to be an unbelievable athlete to, to get open, uh, you know, really at any level. A lot of it, even look at a guy like Tay Adams, like he said it when I interviewed him on, on Bean Talk on my show, was, he was like, yo, God, God didn't bless me with world-class speed or world-class strength. Like, you know, I'm not a combine warrior, but God gave me unbelievable change of direction and I have an unbelievable understanding of the game. So I combine those two things and I get open. You know, so like you got to have that one thing. And that's something Sanu tells me all the time. He's like, and we talk about young receivers, like you don't have to be better at everybody at everything. You got to be better than everybody at one thing. And if you have that one thing you're better than everyone at, you'll find your role on the team. And then you double down on that. So Tay Adams' best thing is his quickness, his change of direction. 
you watch how he, you can see how he uses that the way he can deceive people he makes things look the same the way he can slow the tempo down and speed it up like he has found ways to make that to use that one trait that he does better than everyone else to make him you know one of the top receivers in the game absolutely and and you mentioned Mohamed Sanu um a friend of yours and, and a client of yours someone that you've been training for a long time um this has been a, a particularly interesting summer um for for football reasons and for non-football reasons what what has it been like working this this year in given the just the climate of the country and and the pandemic that we're living in yeah so it was it was real interesting because like when it started right at first i was like all right is it irresponsible of me to continue training because like oh social distancing all this stuff but Really, I realized like it was it was for guys who are feeding their family through the game of football. I became more important than ever because often they had nowhere else to turn, and and they and guys need yeah. help. They like for, for for a time when guys aren't in OTAs, they weren't getting coached at all. They didn't have opportunities to go to rookie mini camps and all these things that give them opportunities. Like like it's going to be a real tell to see who who exhausted their resources to stay sharp and who just kind of you know succumbed to the pandemic and and did their thing and. Like, you know, I, so I think that, that for me, the guys who were hungry for those resources and hungry to get better and hungry to find a way to, to find an edge in these weird times, like I was probably more valuable than ever. And that allowed me to build a lot of really great relationships with guys and, and provide value to a lot of guys, which is really like, it's all it's about for me. Like, it's been cool getting all this recognition and all the hoopla and all that stuff. And, you know, some of that's by design. Obviously, it's part of growing the business. But like, I just care about providing value and getting guys better. And, so to be able to do that at a time when it was needed more desperately, like that was pretty cool for me, um, you know, as opposed to normal times when there's a million resources, a million gyms and everything open. Uh, so it was definitely, you know, but, but other than that, it just became kind of business as usual. Like once you found the guys who wanted to work with you and they, and we were kind of in the same location, it was just about getting better every day and, you know, just adjusting to the times, getting kicked off of fields every few days, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to make makeshift weight rooms like that stuff like it's almost funny to talk about is it being different it became like part of the process you know we almost it's just just like anything just like you are playing the rain and you play against the you know against an opposing stadium like all those things it was just another thing that we adjusted to and, and overcame and still found a way to get to work in but when you think back on it like there was a time in atlanta me and mo got kicked off like five fields in a row and but meanwhile, like they had opened the nightclubs and they had opened like the salons, but they wouldn't let us work out. And it was just the two of us in the field. It was like the most bizarre. Like that was a really bizarre time. We were like, yo, we can't work out, and and but yeah, you you had fifty strippers in in the club last night. Like it was just crazy. <laughs> but that that's not even the most surreal Atlanta story you have. You were just telling me one before right. before we before we came on air because you were basically in the middle of one of the biggest stories of the off season. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah. So we, I guess like the day, the day cam got signed, um, cam lived, uh, it's from Atlanta. So in Atlanta, Mo and Mo lives in Atlanta. So they've known each other for a while and we had no idea. We were just working out, got a notification on Bleacher Report or whatever, like cam Newton signs to the Patriots. So we were celebrating. It's because like, you know, you got a former MVP coming on your team. Like that, that does nothing but good for your team. Um, and obviously he has a personal relationship with him, so he was excited. Um, and then that night, like, you know, they, they got in touch and we're talking. They're like, hey, what are you doing next week? And he's like, I'm going to L.A. No way, I'm going to L.A. Like, just by coincidence, we had both planned trips to L.A. Turned out we were on the same flight to L.A. with him. We actually ended up missing – some of us ended up missing the flight. That was a whole thing. But anyway, like, we, <laughs> we ended up being in, in L.A. at the same time. Coincidentally, like, right after he got signed um, – it was just cool. It was just like very happenstance and, and, and very unexpected. And then we were able to obviously get work with them a couple of days out there, which was, which was nice. And 
good for them to like get on the field immediately and, and build some some camaraderie. And and Cam looked healthy, looked good. Yeah, he looked good, man. He was throwing the ball well. Had some real, some zip on it. He had great energy, great leadership, and just like it was it was it was cool to be around. His, his energy was infectious for sure. But but you are, you have also been working in Boston. I saw you out there with Jared Stidham. So like you know what's what's that like, especially for someone like like Mo, who's he's got to he's got to catch passes from whoever the quarterback is. He can't he can't play favorites. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to us. Like you know, I mean, like it's it's when we when we like each time. I remember after the first Cam workout, we looked at each other and like oh, I forget, like, we didn't even realize in the moment you don't even realize it was Cam Newton throwing to you. You just worried about running the best route you can run and, right. and you know executing the assignment. So like. For us, it doesn't really matter. I mean, like, there's obviously things that, like, we kind of talk about as far as, like, their energy and the way they lead and stuff like that. Just figuring out, you know, just figuring out, yo, if he's the guy, here's how you work with him. If he's the guy, here's how you work with him. Here's how it seems like he operates. Just getting to know who they are as people so that when when one of them is the starter, uh, you know, he's able to, to mesh well with them and catch a lot of balls. Yeah, absolutely. So as we as we push forward here, um, I, I do want to ask one question because I know there's a lot of, of Packer fans thinking about, OK, we've got all these young guys on the team, developmental guys. What are the what are the ways in which you think, you know, young players, it usually takes receivers like it took Devontae till year three, basically, to break out. What are the what are the things, the markers that we should be looking for in terms of saying, OK, this guy looks like he's getting better? What? What is it that they're getting better in usually that that makes them more effective? Is it just all the stuff we've talked about? It's like generally speaking, and there's no way to see this on film, but I'll try to explain it. It's poise, right? It's yeah. generally just being able to execute your job at that level without panicking. Like a lot of guys, the game is fast, or they haven't played in front of, they haven't played with a grown man talking shit in their face. <laughs> you know what I mean? They haven't played against somebody who like is playing on it. You know, it's just it's just different when you're playing against grown men that level of competition, that level of they haven't played against a team that that runs 27 different coverages in a game. Like there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of things that rookies have never seen before. Some guys are so athletically gifted or just so poised inherently that they're able to adapt. Other guys, like that's what it takes you. Like a guy like Devontae Adams, he was never not a good player, but it was about adjusting what he was good at to that level. And and that takes guys all, all kinds of different time periods. Sometimes it takes a guy to, to leave a team and go to a different situation. And that, again, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. He just wasn't a fit for that opportunity. Um, so I think, like, in general, got younger guys start to catch the ball more consistently. They start to make more of the difficult catches because, you know, the game. you can see the game slowing down for them. Um, and you'll just probably see them, like, open more generally. Like, to me, with poise comes consistency. And, like, got, really all you can judge a kid, whether he's coming into his own or not, is consistency. If he's not consistent, he's still a kid and he's still unreliable. And anyone can be great for a game and give you 120 yards if he's got 22 yards the next game. It's just not doing a ton for you. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's just not, not like, so to me, that's, that's what you look for is, is guys who can consistently give you the same performance and, and consistently get open. And, and, you know, and then eventually you've got, like I said, you've got guys who you rely on for certain things. Like they don't have to be the best at everything, but that's our third down guy. That's our underneath guy. That's our middle of the field guy. Like whatever it is, they start to find, establish a real consistent role in the offense. So I think if you see the Packers with Devontae Adams and 17 other receivers in the revolving door, then a lot of guys didn't make the, the, the progress that you would hope. But if you see Devontae Adams and, and one consistent guy and then maybe a couple other guys rotating in, then you know that one consistent guy really stepped up. And, and that's kind of the way I think you can, you can judge it. 
That's awesome insight. Um, you have been uh, been blowing up on social media. I know the videos uh, have, have been really not just not just cool and popular, but helpful. I see notes all the time from guys that are like, "Hey, this really helped me." Um, you know, prep receivers or whatever it is, even you know, middle school, whatever. So let my listeners know where they can find all of the stuff that you're putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, the sideline hustle. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at sideline hustle. TikTok, um, which is now a big thing, apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, but then we got a website, sidelinehustle.tv, YouTube, our whole video library is on YouTube. Um, anywhere you look up the Sideline Hustle, but you know, like, like, like you were saying, it's just our goal, our whole mission with this thing was to just use the resources available to us to educate people about the game of football. And having coached at the highest level, having trained all these great players, like what I learned was that just the general football community doesn't have access to a lot of the information that those at the highest level have access to. So we've just tried to create a platform that is teaching the game in, in the most intricate details, you know, with, with the stuff that really matters to, to kind of make that available to those who, you know, want to make themselves better. So it, it's been awesome so far. It's been cool to see the community grow and it's been cool to now get some public recognition and it just shows how far we've come. But that pay, you know, you go, you go to sideline hustle is just about finding a way to make you better. So, if, you know, if you're a coach, a player, a fan, hopefully we can educate you and help you enjoy the game a little bit more. It's been awesome, Drew. I appreciate it, man. No doubt, I appreciate you. All right, I want to thank Drew for coming on the show. I hope you uh, enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, I'm I'm trying to bring some more non-traditional interviews to the show, and so I'm, I'm hoping that that you are enjoying those, not just because we're in a, in a weird off season and a weird time, but because I, I think it's just something that is not really being done other places. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to bring a little bit of a different kind of feel um, so that this is not just the same show that everyone else is doing. I don't want to do the same show that everyone else is doing. I don't even want to do the same show that we've always been doing. If we're, if we're not getting better, we're getting worse. And so let me know if you if you like that stuff. Um, I, I've enjoyed, you know, getting to try some new things, to talk to some different kinds of people, and explore more sides of sports than just the X's and O's. Um, and uh, I, I'm not just talking about stuff that happens off the field. I mean, I think this week is a great example. We talked to a trainer, we talked to uh, a position coach, and they bring a different perspective to the game, but an important one. These are all building blocks to what we see on the field. So I think it all contributes to gameplay and that makes it important you want to follow me on twitter you can do that peter underscore bukowski follow the podcast on twitter locked on packers subscribe to the podcast itunes spotify google podcasts wherever you find podcasts you will find locked on packers and anytime you want to hit us up on the locked on packers fan hotline you can do that 920-341-3775 to stay locked on packers